This is Christmas time is a coming. That's the title of my message today. Christmas times are coming. And I, I didn't say Christmas time is coming. I said Christmas times are coming. I, I said it the way we would say it around here, okay? Uh, some of you don't know it, but I can still speak the language <laughs> of the natives around here, amen? And uh, this is the time of year that Christmas is only 21 days, I believe, away. Something like it. This is the fourth, so if I add 21, that makes it 25, don't it? Now, they used to tell you how many shopping days you had left, but it don't matter anymore because they're open seven days a week, 24 hours a day anymore. Uh, they just can't seem to get enough time to take all your money from you. And uh, time is something we don't have, so uh, we just spend more and more of it, just like we spend our money more and more. But I'm not here to talk about that. Uh, this is the time that, that we're saying, okay, Christmas times are coming, and, and we don't have much more time. To, we've got to get this done. We've got to get that done. And that may be the reason why we have such a low turnout during Christmas season. You would think that people would fill the church up during this time and this season. But, unfortunately, people have a lot of things that they need to get done. They just got to get this stuff done because Christmas times are coming. The, uh, you hear people say, well, I, I just haven't got all my shopping done yet. Has everybody got their shopping done yet? I, this is the first year that I can say I didn't procrastinate. I think I got it all done already. Of course, there may be something I forgot here and there. Uh, but a lot of times uh, people say, well, I just still got this to do, I got that to do, and didn't buy for this person or that person, so we still got a lot of things to do. Uh, we've got to be ready for Christmas. We don't want it to come upon us and not be ready for Christmas. Well, that's not the Christmas I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the Christmas that is really coming, the true Christmas Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Those of you that can stand for four verses, go ahead. If you don't feel uh, that you could do that, go right ahead. Don't, you won't offend me if you stay in your seat. We just, uh, if we can honor the word by standing, then we want to do that. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let us pray. 
Lord Jesus, we ask God for your anointing upon my mouth and upon my heart and upon the ears and hearts of the people that are here gathered in thy name to hear your word. We know that your word is already anointed, it's already settled in heaven, and it will accomplish what you send it forth to accomplish. We just ask God that it accomplish a great work in us today and that we might understand it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. Matthew's gospel begins with the announcement of Christ's birth. And, uh, but the reason that he come, according to what I just read to you, was to save his people from their sins. I believe that's even in our bulletin today. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the true message of Christmas, and this is the true meaning of Christmas. I could stop right now with this. But Christmas is when you're saved from your sins. Amen? To say his people are saved from their sins. Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying. He wrote it to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Amen. Now he didn't say, I was chief. He said, I am chief. And that's a faithful, true saying is what he's saying because anything faithful is true. Are you faithful and true today? I believe if you're not saved from sin, then you're not saved. When we talk about being saved, we're talking about being saved from sin. And that is the reason Jesus came into this world. To save sinners of whom I am chief. We should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And Paul explained that to us. That it should not have dominion over us. Because we who believe on Jesus Christ, who have been filled with the Holy Ghost, have the power to live above sin. Doesn't mean that we will. Because sometimes we lose our power. We should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. But until we are free from the body of this sin. And Paul said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He knew who it was. It was Jesus. And what he was describing is a man that was chained to a dead man. They used to do that. It was a cruel punishment. They would... 
chain a man to a dead body and that dead body would be pure. I mean, it would stink. It would rot. And there would be no way to escape from this petrified condition. It was an unusual form of punishment. And that's what Paul was saying. I want to escape, but when I want to escape, sin is present with me. I desire to do good, but when I desire it, then I do bad. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. Some of you kids can relate to this. Isaiah, I'm sure. <laughs> None of us want to do bad. None of us want to sin. But sin is ever present with us. The very nature of sin. We were shaped in inequity and born into sin. But if we are truly saved, from sin, then we are saved by faith because sin is still present with us. Somebody say amen to that. And if, if Jesus come so that we might be free from sin, then Christmas has not yet come except by faith. Now in Romans 8.24 it tells us, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Christmas time is a coming. Christmas time is a coming. One day, Jesus is going to return to this earth and he's going to accomplish the purpose for which he come to remove man from sin, to remove us from the bondage of sin. For he shall save his people from their sins. The Bible says the whole creation groaneth or travaileth in pain as a pregnant woman would waiting for a child. Amen. She knows that it's coming. She knows that, amen, it's just a matter of time and the closer she gets to that birth of that child, the more conditions show that she's there, the more labor she goes through, the more pain she endures. Somebody say amen. amen. We are forced to see a woman that is expecting a child. It's a time of great joy. Somebody say amen. But it's also a time of great pain. Christmas times are coming. And it'll be a time of joy. But there's be a time. There will be times of sorrow. 
There will be times of pain. There will be times of darkness. Christmas times are coming. You know, Matthew wrote about the baby Jesus. And we take that and say, that's Christmas. But that's not the whole story, as Paul Harvey says. That's not the whole Christmas story. Because we haven't yet been freed from sin. We haven't yet been saved from sin, except by faith. The whole creation groans and waits for the sons of God to be manifested. We wait for the redemption of the body. That is the resurrection. The rapture. Whatever you want to call it. Now Mark's gospel was much more down to earth. He begins his gospel not with the announcement of the birth of Jesus. But with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who would prepare the hearts and minds of the people for the day when Christmas time would come. Amen. When Jesus would come and take sin away from this world. Yes, he spoke of the gospel of preparation, the gospel of repentance, the gospel of baptism and the expectation of the infilling power of the Holy Ghost, because he knew these things were what we need to do in order to prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. <laughs> Christmas times are coming, church. Christmas times are coming. Are you ready for Christmas Day? Have you repented of your sin? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Do you have the infilling power of the Holy Ghost in your life? Have you spoken in tongues? Amen. When the Holy Ghost comes, are you ready to go in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when Christmas time comes? Oh, he won't be coming back as a baby. He's going to be coming back as a king. The king of kings and lord of lords. Christmas times are coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Well, Brother Stanton, I'm not quite ready. I've still got a few more days. I can't tell you how many days we have left. I don't know how many days of shopping you got left. Jesus could come today. He could come tonight. We don't know when he's going to come and split the eastern sky, but Christmas time is a-coming. I feel the labor pains. I know. Everywhere you look, you see signs of his coming. Mary Lou sings a song about that. Certainly true. Before Christmas comes, before Christmas comes, there will come other times. There will come perilous times, the Bible tells us. There will come powerless times. And there will be prayerless times. Those are the points I want to cover this morning in this Christmas Day message. Perilous times. Powerless times. 
and prayerless times that will come before Christmas time when Jesus comes to save his people from their sin. See, a lot of folks running around saying, I'm saved. They think it's already done. It's set and done. No, it ain't. You need to understand what the gospel is. The baby Jesus didn't save you. Jesus died on the cross that you might have salvation. But we wait for it just as we wait for Christmas. The redemption of the body. You're not saved till you're standing on the streets of gold. But the Bible says if we're saved by faith, then faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So we call things that are not as though they were. If you're sick today, then claim your will. Amen? If you're a sinner today, then claim your salvation. I am a name it and claim it preacher. I believe if you name it and claim it, you'll own it. Amen? So we need to stand by faith in that. Perilous times will come. I want to cover that first. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, Know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now we understand the word peril to mean dangerous or fierce or difficult times. And folks, we are in peril every day. There's the peril of nuclear weapons. In the news recently, we, we are hearing that Iran is on the verge of having a nuclear weapon. And we know that Iran is crazy enough to use a nuclear weapon. Maybe they won't use it themselves, but they... They will give it to a terrorist to use. <laughs> Folks, it's not if we have a nuclear attack, it's when we have it. It's coming. We, we see it happen. It's, it's un being revealed every day before our eyes as we watch the news. We discovered that China, who we've known to have nuclear weapons also has the ability to protect those nuclear weapons. I don't know how, what you know about nuclear weapons, but the only good that a nuclear weapon is, if you've got it, nobody wants to use it on, one on you because you can retaliate. You can blow their nuclear weapons up and destroy their cities. China don't care. Kill a two or three million, that'll make them better off. There'll be more for the rest of them. But they don't want their nuclear weapons to be blown out of the ground before they get a chance to launch them at us. But they, we've discovered that they've got underground tunnels that go for miles and miles. It's just like the wall of China that covers all of China. They can hide all their nuclear weapons wherever they want. We don't know what they've got. But they've got a great threat. We are living in a perilous time. When any moment we could wake up and find that nuclear war has just occurred all around us. And let me tell you, when it starts, it won't be one little bomb here and one over there. They're going to unleash everything they've got 
on us and we'll unleash everything we got on them. We won't know who is attacking, so everybody may be firing missiles. It's going to be a perilous time. We also have the peril of terrorist activities. Wasn't long ago, doesn't seem like a long time ago, but been over 10 years that we woke up one morning and found that America had suddenly changed. The streets and schools and office and places of work that seemed to be safe are now places of peril where your very life is in danger. And men and women go off to work and they don't come home. And children have to be raised without mothers and fathers. And that threat is still with us and growing. We also have the threat of economic turbulence, a peril of an economy about to crumble. This year I've went out and I've been spending more than I've ever spent before. Because I got a feeling down in my, my heart that this may be the last time I'll be able to get anybody anything. Say, so Brother Stennett, you shouldn't squander your money. Save it. What good will it do to save money that will be worthless? I'm sure there were people during the, when the Civil War was about to end that had all this Confederate money and it was totally worthless. Church, I want you to know we are on the verge of the dollar falling. It's going to go away. The euro is on the verge of collapsing now. Oh, let's get excited about money. You don't understand your very way of life. Everything you know about this world is in danger of being taken away. People telling you to buy gold. Those that can afford it, they're buying gold. Those that can't are buying guns. But if you can't get either, you better be getting a hold of God. Amen. What good is money if it's worthless? People are saying that the, the, the dollar and the world economy will probably collapse before the end of next year. And it may very well collapse this year. Our country did not get a downgrade of its credit during the Great Depression of the 20s. Our credit was still good. Folks, people don't even trust the credit of the federal government. They're going to protect their interests up to the very last moment. And when they pull the rug out, we're going to be standing here with all, we'll all be penniless. It's a time of peril. The lights will go off. The iPads won't work. The refrigerator won't work. Nothing that you know of to be normal 
will happen. Your whole world will change in a moment. Mm. Conspiracy theories prevail these days. They talk of a new world order. We've been talking about that for many years in the church. But what surprises me, it's not the church talking about it anymore. In fact, you hardly hear about it in the church anymore. We used to be talking about the Antichrist and a new world order. There was a big thing about prophecy. The churches were filling up. People wanted to know about the Antichrist and about Jesus Christ. Because they believed there would be a new world order. That he would come into power. You see, when this new world order comes in, what they're going to do is money will be replaced with something else. Just like the Confederate dollar was replaced with the U.S. dollar. You had to be on the U.S. side, you had money. You had to be down in the south, you had to get whatever you could the best way you could get it. There were carpetbaggers that took advantage of everything. During times of perilous times, great plagues are upon the world. The imminent collapse of the world's political powers is upon us. The New World Order says that the Antichrist is coming to power. We don't know who he is because the Bible says we won't know till after the church is gone. We won't know till after Christmas. We could say the Antichrist is a gift from Satan. Do not open until Christmas. One of these days that package is going to open. We will know who he is. And I hope I'm not here. I hope I'm ready for Christmas. Amen. You see, we hear, we hear a lot of stuff. Uh, that recently I heard a war on, uh, they're talking about a war on Christmas. People don't want to say... Merry Christmas anymore and all that. And, and some folks think we're just making a big deal out of nothing. But there's more going on than we care to admit. I woke up yesterday and heard that, that uh, Walter Reed Army Hospital, the Army had restricted the families of those soldiers that were sick and injured at the Army Walter Reed Hospital from bringing Bibles into the hospital. It was restricted till people found out about it, and and there was a big uproar about it on Fox, and and they be, and then they all of a sudden rescinded the order. There's things going on that we don't even know about <coughs> behind the scenes. We don't know till they're already done. I was in the military. I know that you don't make a new rule without all kinds of people knowing about it. But I didn't hear about that until after it was already said and done. Only the, they only rescinded it after a lot of outcry. Everybody wants to be politically correct these days. Nobody cares about being religiously correct. The idea of tolerance is used, amen, not to take care of those that, uh, amen, we can't tolerate. But 
It's used to silence the voice of Christianity and the Word of God. Because if you want to speak out against the things that's, that's happening around you, then they say you're not tolerant. The only religion that people cannot tolerate it around here anymore is Christianity. They don't want to hear about your God. They don't want to hear the name of Jesus. They don't want to see your Bibles in their hospitals. They glamorize perversion. And they call it diversity. Drug addiction prevails. Not crack and cocaine and heroin. Prescription medication is one of our greatest problems. There's not a person in this church that hasn't been affected by medication that has been prescribed. The abuse of prescription medication don't matter how big you are or how small you are. The, the hospitals and doctors, they're passing it out like it was cotton candy. There's got to be a conspiracy somewhere when you can just go up there and say, my back hurts and they give you all kinds of morphine and, and uh, uh, Percocet and, and all that stuff, uh, Oxycontin and all that. And, and, and you can just walk away and come back when you run out. Something's going on here. I feel a labor pain. Amen. Christmas time is coming. We are in need of salvation. And Jesus is the only one that will save us. We can't trust our government. We can't trust our judges and our court systems. A judge just recently in Knoxville, Judge Bumgarten, who tried and presided over a murder case, one of the most vicious atrocities that ever has been committed in this area, he himself was addicted to prescription medication. Now they're having to retry all of these cases. Wouldn't surprise me if these murderers don't get off. If they do, I know a few folks around here that will track them down. Not to say that I support that. But we can't trust our justice system. Judges used to be a little bit higher in character than the slime balls on the street. But you can't tell the difference between the great and the poor these days. They used to have character. They were a cut above others. Priests, coaches, pastors, youth leaders. Doesn't take much effort to, to discover that all of these professions have let us down. Recently, a coach, assistant coach in Pennsylvania was arrested for abusing young boys for years. 
abusing children. You know, the Greek word for peril is kalepos. It carries with it the idea of a reduction in strength. It means peril as in danger, but it talks about a reduction. It means to be wearisome or a taxing time. A troubling and taxing, wearisome. It's a time in which it just wears you down. Depresses you. A dangerous time, a peril, but it's very taxing and wearisome. It just grinds us down. And we watched a movie called Grinding America Down. It traced all of these programs and stuff that we have here to basic plans by communists to be able to try to destroy the country called America. Their objective is to totally destroy and obliterate our country and then they want to come in here and fix it up and establish a new world order. The new cannot be come in until the old has been done away with. Folks, if you love America, then you need to cling on to this and you need to realize what's happening around you. But I, let me tell you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's coming. Christmas time is coming. The labor pains are here. We are in pain as a mother with a child and Jesus is coming soon. It's not a time when the pew should be empty. It ain't a time when we should quit praying. It's a time we need to get down and get right with God. Our principles, our values are constantly worn down every day. Every day we wake up, we find something else gone. That we once cherished. Paul told Timothy. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontinent. Fierce despisers. Of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. <clears throat> Having a form, listen to this, everything I just mentioned, you may think was in the world, but he's saying this is in the church. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. He's not saying turn away from sinners out there in the world. He's talking about turn away from some of the things that's happening in the church. We have a form of godliness. That is, we, we, we resemble Christianity. But everything about us sometimes speaks of our resemblance to the Antichrist instead of Jesus Christ. We've got more churches than we've ever had. But yet we have fewer 
true conversions than at any time in history. The number has not changed the hearts because the message that's being preached is not that Christmas time is coming. Message of the world, the message of Satan, the message of the Antichrist. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power. We have super churches. You know what the word super is? It means above. These super churches aren't above. They're not from above. They have great numbers, and we call them super because they're large. Three, four, five, ten thousand. But they're not super by a long shot because they're not living according to the way God expects us to live and they're not preaching the gospel that they need to be preaching. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. From such turn away. The thing that is in most peril to us today is not our money. It's not our political life, nor our constitutional freedom. Those are important. But the thing that is in most peril today is the power of the church. It is being continually worn down and taken away. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, For the mystery of inequity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken away. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume in the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy when Christmas time comes with the brightness of his coming. The problem today, we are in perilous times, but the church is living in powerless times. The church has no power left. Say, Brother Stinnett, the church has always got power. The true church. That's the standard by which we must meet. And if we're falling short of that, then we are a powerless church. The average Christian don't even have the power to get to church on Wednesday night. And some of them can't even get here on Sunday morning. That takes power. It takes power to stay up late and get up early. People say, I didn't get in until 11. Well, I didn't lay my lesson down to 12.30, but I got up at 4 to go again, and I'm here praising God. It takes power to do that. Not my power, but the power of the Holy Ghost. Something's got to be in you, driving you. And if it ain't there, then you are powerless. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the power of God in our church again. Not just this one. We need the power of the Holy Ghost to fall upon our church. In Acts 1 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Christmas time hasn't come, but the faith 
the earnest of our inheritance is among us today and nobody wants that present. You ever had a present that nobody wanted? A fruitcake. Just keep resealing them, give them somebody else. We are turning down the greatest gift that God has ever given the church. Amen. I don't see people seeking the Holy Ghost anymore. Not like they used to. We don't have the power. It's not the power of our audio system that we need. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Can somebody say amen? amen. We've got a church full of people living to themselves. So Brother Sidney, how can you tell? Because you can't find nobody to do anything that needs to get done. Everybody's got their own thing to do. They're too busy getting ready for Santa Claus instead of getting ready for Jesus Christ. Because Christmas time's coming. I'm telling you, church, I have never felt the burden of a message any stronger than I feel on this one. And I feel down in the depths of my heart that God is trying to put out the last warning here. That we need to be ready. Because he's coming. Christmas time is coming. Do we want him to come in a time that we are powerless? We talk about the battlefield. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I promised him that I would fight it to the day I died. But we find we are running cowards sometimes. Turning our back on the enemy and on God. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth. That means from the moment you are converted and believe on Jesus Christ. And that's what most people believe is salvation. And it is by faith. Then you should henceforth not live any longer to yourself. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 16 says, wherefore? Henceforth, there's another word from this point on. Know ye no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We ought to be knowing Jesus in a different way today. We ought to be knowing him in the fullness of the Godhead bodily and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Have you felt Jesus? He didn't come down a chimney. He's come into our hearts today. And if you don't know he's here, then you are powerless. Therefore, let's jump on down a little bit. Therefore, if any man, any man, Joe, any man. if any man or woman be in Christ, 
Jesus. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. Woo, hallelujah. No true conversions anymore. You don't see very many of them. Because when you see somebody really truly converted, you see a change in their life. You see the old life and the new life. It's not all instantaneous, but you see the difference. It's not a testimony for one night on Wednesday and then on Sunday they're nowhere to be found. You see a change in a person's life when true conversion comes. And sometimes we can't tell the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. That's a shameful thing. But it's a sign that we don't have the power to live the way God wants us to. I'm not beating anybody over the head. I think I must have hit Savannah last night over the head or she hit me. I'm not trying to do that. But I would like to wake somebody up so that they might realize that it takes power to live the life that God wants us to live. And if you ain't got the power, it means you ain't got the Holy Ghost. You need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Mm. Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We can't be a witness even in Maryville. We can't be a witness at our own workplaces sometimes, our own schools. There's a pastor in Iran, a Christian, who is under the penalty of death. He has received, already received a death penalty because he refuses to deny Jesus. I'm sure he don't have a large church. He may be the only one in it. But he's not going to step down and deny Jesus and go to hell. But yet we see people all around us denying Jesus every day for a lot less than that. Enoch or Esau sold his birthright. I like to say for a bowl of beans. There's sometimes I feel like I'd give anything for a good bowl of beans but I would never sell my birthright for anything. James spoke of us. He spoke of people like it. He said, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. See, Paul stood with the Christians in Corinth, and the Bible says he stood in their weakness. He feared, he trembled. But he was not weak in preaching or witnessing. Sometimes we don't have everything we need, but the one thing we do need most of all, church, is the power of God in our services. How do we get this power? The problem, the reason we've lost this power is because we're prayerless. We're living in prayerless times. See, there's a double meaning in prayerless. 
Prayer is a two-way street. Prayer is communion with God. There's those that don't have prayer, have a prayer for God. And there's those that don't have a prayer with God. You've heard those saying, well, he don't have a prayer. That means you're pretty much <laughs> on your own. But there are Christians that don't pray. They don't have a prayer for God each day. They don't have a prayer for their brothers and sisters. They don't have a prayer for the, the needs on the, the, the prayer list. A prayerless life, folks, is a powerless life. And if you have a prayerless and powerless life, you're going to end up in a perilous time. It's coming. You see, before Isaiah spoke of his vision that he had, when he said the Lord was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, what he saw was a sinful nation, his own people, a people laden with inequity, a seed of evildoers, children that were corrupt, who had forsaken the Lord, who provoked God, who had backslidden and gone backward. He prophesied that the whole body was sick. The head was sick. The heart was sick. From the head to the toes, this body was sick and dying. And though Isaiah saw himself in the midst of people like this, he said he too was undone. He was powerless and living in perilous times. The enemy had conquered them. They were going to be carried away into Babylon. There was only a small remnant of folks that truly worshipped God. And if it hadn't been for them, Isaiah said we would have been just like Sodom and Gomorrah. God would have destroyed us. Remember, amen, when Abraham made intercession. He said if there be ten righteous souls. And God said, no, I won't destroy it. He kept praying and interceding on behalf of them. The only thing that is holding this world together, amen, the only thing that is holding back the Antichrist is Jesus Christ. It's Christmas time and it's coming. They were living in a perilous time. They were living in a powerless time. And they were living in a prayerless time. God didn't want their sacrifices. He hated their feasts and their new moons. Isaiah 1 4 says, They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. This is God said that. They were grinding him down. It was a perilous time for God even. He, he was being weary of them. Here's what he said in verse 15. Actually, that is 15. And when you spread forth your hands to pray, so why do you all Pentecostals pray like this? Why don't you get down on your knees like the Baptists do? Well, some of us couldn't get back up, could we, Amy? 
Why don't you jump up and down like they do down here at this church? Well, some of us couldn't jump up and down. Sometimes it's all you can do just to sit back and hold your hands up to God. But God says, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God will not hear a prayer of a person that is not living right. That's what he's saying. We're prayerless sometimes because we don't pray. But we're also powerless and prayerless because God will not hear us. Because we're not living the life that we ought to live. Why should God honor those that bring discredit and dishonor to His name? Here's what He says. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, and cease to do evil. See, Jesus spoke the same thing of the Pharisees. He says, for pretense, you make long prayers. These shall receive the greater damnation, he said. He was talking about powerless, prayerless believers who would be living in perilous times very soon. When Solomon finished building the house the temple to the Lord. When he did everything that was in his heart, the Bible says, to do for God, the Bible says the Lord appeared to him by night and said, I have heard thy prayer. When you build up the house of God, when you come to church, when you support the efforts, when you've done all to do that God has put in your heart, then God will hear your prayer. You should not expect anything else if you're not doing that. He says, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. See, perilous times are going to come. The Word says it's coming. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Everything I've been talking about, it's going to happen. Cain won't get rid of it. None of the Republicans that's running for office will get rid of it. They can get rid of Obama, but they ain't getting rid of the problem. We're living in perilous times. The only thing that's going to make it go away is Jesus. Christmas time's coming. He says, this is going to happen. When these happen, if I send pestilence among my people, he said this, if my people, what did Jesus come to do in Matthew? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. If I send pestilence among my people, here's the solution, church. 
If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Here we have the secret of having a prayerful life. Humility. Going before the Lord and repenting and cleansing our wicked ways. Then God will hear our prayer and send the power we need to get ourselves through those perilous times. Church, I know this hasn't been the happy shout message, but sometimes you've got to hear what God has to say. And sometimes you've got to obey what God has to say. Then will he hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Folks, I don't know whether you're ready for Christmas or not. Sometimes when you're not ready, you wish you had a few more shopping days. If you're ready, it's like, let it come. But you have to feel for others that are not ready. They're cranky. Even those that are ready. I'm very impatient. Amanda says, where's your patience at, Papa? I says, when, I, when God was handing out patience... I was at the back of the line and I got tired of waiting and left. We've got to change. We've got to be willing to change if God's going to use us. I'm willing. Are you? Your brother said, ain't a thing wrong with me. Then, good, you need to be pastor here. You see, he come to save his people. Paul says... God, he come to save sinners, of which I am chief. I'm not pointing fingers at you. Paul says, I'm chief. And if he's the chief, then the rest of us are just little Indians. Some people say we had too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Well, <laughs> we've got to fight this enemy. Let me tell you the end here. Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Church, that is revival. A revival that we're not going to see until we get right. We can postpone the perilous times by getting right. But we're not going to escape the judgment of God if we don't get right. Christmas time's coming whether you're ready or not. 